I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Okay, so welcome back to Reconsider. <laughs> uh, you've, you've heard this as two separate episodes. We are, we are about 4.6 microseconds uh, completed our most recent one. Um, how did it come to this part one? I don't even know what the title is going to be. It's probably going to be like, how did it come to this part one? You know, a republic under a fire. I don't know. Whatever. Uh, we'll come up out. with something catchy. Yeah. But uh, how did we get here is, um, or how, yeah, uh, how did it come to this media tech? You know, we're exploring media technology today. And, you know, and we mentioned in the, in part one here that there are two totally different narratives going on in the United States, right? We're not looking at the same reality and saying, oh, it's, it's, there are different causes of that reality or there are different solutions to that reality. We just think there are two different realities, right? There is a, you know, for example, uh, you know, we've, we've, it's been a very, very long time in the United, in the United States that like a group of people uh, have tried to use like a, a, a substantial group of people have tried to use political violence to try to uh, get, sorry, against elected officials to get what they want. Um, and we had people decide like Megan Whitmer, the governor of Michigan was such a threat to Liberty because, uh, because of her coronavirus policy that uh, she needed to be kidnapped and put on trial as a traitor uh, to the United States somehow. And I think, you have to to put it a little less one sided as much as I can right now, which has gotten harder over the last four years, I think. But but it's certainly the case that from the people I know across the political spectrum, like each one of them thinks that the other side is doing their darndest to seal the election and that the other side uh, is backed by armed band, like huge armed bands of maniacs who are going to come to your home and kill you. Right. So Biden is trying to steal the election by like stuffing ballot boxes or something, something mail in voting. And he's got Antifa um, and Black Lives Matter, the terrorist organizations who are, you know, they're they're what Biden and Harris and uh, Antifa and Black Lives Matter really want is to just destroy the suburbs or something. And um, but but that you should be legitimately scared of all these people. Uh, they're going to destroy the country. and. You know, and then and then you've got a group of people that are like, okay, you've got you've got Trump, and by the way, like these, and you know, the Antifa isn't, you know, like I, I mean, I've been told like if you're not Antifa, you're a fascist, and I'm like, get the fuck out of here, come on, man, um, <laughs> and and it's just so frustrating, 
you know, but but then you've got a side that's like, okay, if you're not Antifa, you are a fascist. You love fascism, and uh, you know the or, or that like Antifa is not like that. That there's like just like no association of like the uh, Antifa's like historical association in Europe with being like left wing, generally communist, at least anti capitalist, often violent, often anar- anarchical. Right. Like all those things that have been true about Antifa in Europe for decades are just like suddenly not true. Any historical comparison to what they've done, you know, it just like doesn't make sense. Anyway, um, so you've got people who are like, yep, everyone who is not a fascist is Antifa. And uh, and Donald Trump is trying to steal the election, not Biden, and that he's got hordes of militia terrorists who are going to storm, you know, who are going to storm our homes and kill us. And, uh, you know, and and. And so everyone's like, okay, my, my people who are like setting things on fire, good guys, their people setting things on fire, bad guys. Um, my guy trying to win the election legitimately, their guy trying to steal it. Now, of course, does that mean both of them are equally wrong? No. Right? Just because both sides, and I remember making this point earlier, like, just because, like, just because both sides are calling each other liars doesn't mean both of them are lying or that neither of them are lying. One of them could be a liar and trying to distract you from being a liar from them being a liar by just calling the other person a liar um, and trying to say, like, look, there's no moral high ground for anyone to have here. That's clearly not true. It's clearly not true conceptually, and it's clearly not true right now. Um, uh, for example, nobody Antifa has said, you know what, we're just going to we're just going um, to uh, kidnap the uh, kidnap the governor of Texas uh, and put them on a show trial for treason. Um, et cetera. And there is, and Donald Trump has openly declared his intent to not respect the outcome of the election. And jail on the other hand, opponent. what's that? Oh yeah. And, and jail, jail his, his opponent. opponent. Exactly. And, and Biden has, and Biden has uh, shown absolutely no evidence that he wants anything but a fair and reasonable election and, and that he would respect the outcome. So the, but the, I think the, so the thing that we're tying into is not a false equivalency. Um, that like both sides are bad, but that there is there is this mirror narrative that looks very similar, just opposite. Um, mm-hmm. And that like everyone in America right now is just like super afraid that ever like what we agree on is that there's going to be violence. Like someone's like there's going to be cheating. There's going to be violence. Everything's going to be terrible, but it's just going to be everyone else um, or it's going to just going to be everyone who disagrees. with us. So clearly, then the question is, how did we get here? Right. And. It is it is something that we talk about a lot because so much of Reconsider's core mission is about dispelling these purposefully divisive narratives. If you've read Eric's book Wedged, he's been talking about this since 2014. Before right? It was I guess cool. the ch- before it was cool. Uh, it's and it's just gotten worse. And if I'm being real, because I I guess if there's an episode to be real on, it's this one. Throughout my, all of the time that I've been working with Eric on Reconsider, I have always at the back of my mind thought that if we came to a point where there's a major national crisis that affected us all equally, we would unite. Yeah. And uh, remember what I said last episode about willing to be wrong? Turns out I wasn't right about that. You were wrong. We all faced, we were both wrong. It happens, you know, Uh, no one's right about everything, but I can't think of a single, uh, yeah, exactly. He's never wrong about anything. Everything he says is right. Um, I can't think of a thing maybe besides a major international war that would 
face everyone or that, that would confront everyone equally as has the pandemic and maybe not even as much as the pandemic has. Yeah. And, and yet we have politicized things like basic safety precautions and it just doesn't it, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. So how do we get here? Why do we why are there two sides with these mirror uh, opposing mirror image narratives of, of one another that seem to not overlap at all? So much of it does have to do with media technology, social media, how we share information, how we talk to each other about information, and that filters into what we think is real. And this is not really just restricted to the political realm, right? I mean, if you go on social media, you see people doing all, they're, they're living their best lives, right? Because that's all they're posting. So you right. already have a major uh, content, uh, uh, what's the word? It's not selection bias, but there's this big filter all of the stuff you're seeing on social media is already biased because of some reason or another, right? And, you know, in a way, probably everyone selecting anything is biased to a degree, but it's all, everything on social media is being filtered through the lens of whoever is sharing it, right? And the algorithms, TM, quote unquote, they have a good sense of what you want to see because they collect all this data on you and they can tell what sorts of news tend to keep you focused on their platform and which don't, because they then sell that attention to advertisers. And, you know, we've advertised on Facebook, we've advertised on Twitter and Google. We don't have a lot of money, we haven't advertised much, but like, that's how you reach new audiences nowadays, right? You use social media to get them to, to raise awareness about your website, get them on your newsletter, et cetera, et cetera, and sell stuff to them. Right. Um, so Facebook, Twitter, Instagram know to a certain degree what keeps you focused. And it tends to not be even-handed coverage of news it tends to be things that piss you off and make you emotional and want want you make you want to keep scrolling yeah so the thing that got me thinking about this was actually listening to ages ago a completely unrelated podcast episode of tides of history by patrick wyman fun fact patrick wyman former mma fighter absolute monster of a human He's huge. Yeah. It's terrifying. Uh, sorry, he's not terrifying <laughs> because he's such a gentle soul. But and, and obviously super smart, way smarter than we are. Very cool guy. But he, bring, he, he was talking about Gutenberg and the printing press. And he was talking about like, hey, you know, everyone thinks that basically all the printing press did in its early days was crank out Bibles, right? Well, it turns out it did more than that. It did crank out Bibles, but it did more than that. Um, it cranked out pamphlets. Um, people very quickly saw that they could capture a narrative or they could they could take control of a narrative with pamphlets and the uh and and i'll get a little bit more into this but he talks about how uh a like this pissed off italian merchant i think um i didn't really listen to the episode recently but i think a pissed off italian merchant um printed a bunch of pamphlets uh falsely claiming of course just in case it's unclear to anyone that um jews were uh sacrificing christian babies and using their blood to uh something something satan like literally and blood libel yeah and it caused a pogrom right a bunch of italian people had it read to them because most people of course did not read before the printing press but a bunch of italian people had it read to them they're like oh my god these jews are terrible they're blood sacrifices to satan with christian babies we have to stop them so they just killed a bunch of them, right um and this guy was like he was like disgruntled because of some deal that went bad and it was like basically the first like the first instance of fake news, right? And it reminded me so much of Pizzagate, 
that I was like, okay, there's this ain't new, right? And for those who forget what Pizzagate is, um, I forget how much QAnon was involved, but like, uh, I'm pretty sure Q, QAnon was involved and claimed that Democrats, including Hillary Clinton, uh, who's like, boy, according to QAnon, she's so busy. <laughs> she does so much <laughs> stuff. <laughs> like, I don't know when she sleeps, but, um, but uh, she's involved in a pedophile child sex slave ring that operated out of the basement of this pizzeria. And uh, enough people were angry about that, that one of them just decided, it's like, why isn't anyone doing anything about this? This thing that is obviously true, right? Why isn't anyone doing anything about this? I've got to take justice into my own hands. Save these kids, right? And so guy shows up with, uh, you know, an AR, mows the place down, and it turns out there are not child sex slaves in the basement of the pizzeria because it's totally made up. This was pizza game. And I was just like, oh, my God. And so when I was listening to Patrick's episode on uh, the printing press, I was just like, holy crap, this is the same thing. And so I wanted to start, I, I like started to do a little bit of research on fake news over time. Because we have these two bookmarks where like fake news got people killed, fake news got people killed. I'm sure it's happened in the past. And I'm, this is not going to be an extensive um, historical analysis, but it's going to, it's, I'm going to just like flesh. I just want to flesh out an, a hypothesis here about, um, about what I think is like a cycle of vulnerability to fake news with new media technology. That's the hypothesis. When there's new media technology, it's easy to hit people with fake news. So, you know, right now, just as a quick analysis right now, um, did a little bit of research on fake news and people sharing it, particularly on social media, the new media. Uh, technology that we're talking about here, Republicans are more likely to share fake news by a factor of about two to one, right? And so before you pat yourselves on the back, liberals and Democrats, sharing one third of all fake news is not exactly something you get a trophy for, right? You don't get any medals for it, right? So, so like, lest you walk away thinking like, oh, only Republicans share fake news. No, they share two thirds. They make up about 50% of people and they share about 67% of the fake news, right? As opposed to making up 50% of the people and sharing about 33% of the fake news. So, so everyone needs to be on the lookout for it. And one thing I found recently that's very frustrating is like, I will call people out and say like, this is inaccurate. And people are like, well, yeah, it's inaccurate, but it's like, no, 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 no buts, people. Just retract it. Right? It's just wrong. You shared something that was wrong. It happens. We do. I do. Just, you know, muscle. Anyway, rant over. So, so the, the analogy I want to use to get from the University of Colorado research that I really liked on this. And I really like UC Boulder um, and their approach on this, on, on political polarization as a whole. They seem really dedicated to understanding it well. Um, uh, the researcher said, quote, despite the fact that we tend to call it fake news, a lot of this stuff is not completely false. Um, so uh, researcher uh, Professor Hopp prefers the term countermedia. Rather, it is grossly biased, misleading, and hyperpartisan, omitting important information. Um, and so, you know, uh, the the best way to have you know the best way for fake news to stick is to have a little nugget of micro truth in it. So, for example, Trump uh, with the seven ballots that got accidentally thrown out can now say, "Ah, yes, this is happening on mass." And then Charlie Kirk came out and said um, that you know like hundreds of Trump ballots were found in a river 
which is just not tr- that's just not true. But because the first one had some credibility, you can just keep laying it on over and over and over again, and people will believe it. So there's a pretty good formula for how to spread lies um, using this. And so I started to think about what um, what is it about new media technology that causes this to happen. Now I'm I'm getting a little ahead of myself because I haven't established that it's new media technology, but um, but here's an example. Um, grandma. Uh, so I, if you're familiar with the subreddit forwards from grandma, right? Forwards from grandma is funny because grandma forwards things that to the rest of us are completely incredible, right? Not incredible, like wow, but they are not. Credible. We look at that and we go like, well, grandma, that's obviously just a lie. Like someone wrote something in email and they sent it to you like, and she was like, oh, Billy, this is terrible. Biden is, you know, part of a sex ring in a pizza shop, right? And you're like, grandma, Biden is not part of a sex ring in a pizza shop. Please. <laughs> and she's like, but, and so, and so, but let's break that down. Why does that happen? And, and part of what happens is grandma is seeing a capture, a picture with a caption, right? And it could be photoshopped. It could not be photoshopped. It kind of doesn't matter. Um, grandma, is, there's there's a picture of Biden eating pizza, and it says Biden at the sex ring, child slavery pizza shop. Right? It's like, well, clearly a picture of Biden eating pizza. Um, and this caption can't be wrong. So why does Grandma think that a picture with a caption is credible? Because Grandma grew up in an age where there were editorial forces that controlled what pictures with captions you saw. You saw them in newspapers, you saw them in textbooks, and we were, we were conditioned over time to trust that the editorial board was using the picture and caption format to try to, to accurately use a visual aid to make a greater point that is true and supported in other ways with citations, right? But the picture and caption thing, generally speaking, was credible because credible people were the ones who had the power to publish pictures and captions. And so grandma go, sees a picture and a caption, her brain goes, aha, it's probably credible. Um, I remember uh, a relative of mine, who I shall not name at all, um, I remember used to forward me this kind of stuff all the time, and I got sick of it. Um, and I got sick of like publishing detractions, because uh, in the words of Terry Pratchett, a uh, a lie has made it halfway around the world before the truth has time to put its shoes on. Very easy to lie if you know what you're doing. And so I remember seeing stuff uh, that this in this in this picture and caption style repeatedly, um, where I got an email. This is during the, the uh, Obama years. Got an email that had all these pictures of this amazing hotel type thing, and it said, "This is a prison." that Obama had built around Chicago. And then like you look it up on Snopes and you're like, no, nah, it's literally a hotel, right? Like the <laughs> reason it looks like a fancy hotel is because it's a fancy hotel. Um, there was another one that was like, it was uh, a bunch of um, like guns and drugs on the ground. And you had all these guys standing around and it said, this was found um, on our side of the border, brought in from the Mexicans. And it's like, and like, I didn't even have to look this one up. And I was like, relative and everyone who was CC'd, the, the, the troops standing around this stuff are literally wearing the Colombian flag on their, on their uniforms, right? Like, I don't even have to look this up. But like, 
but you just believed that because a caption said that these are like, I, I, I forget exactly who it claimed they were. Maybe it didn't claim that these are American troops because it didn't want you to look too closely. Right. But it was like, you know, but but you get hit enough times if if your brain is primed to believe in the picture and caption equals credible. If you get hit enough times with pictures and captions that are like, look at all of these rapists and drug dealers and weapons dealers flooding across um, the country, uh, you're going to start to believe it. And, um, you know, and combine this with what Xander talked about, about these algorithms isolating what you do tend to see. Um, uh, it's going to start to add up and you're going to start to believe it. And young people are less prone to believe the picture and caption lie because they grew up in the age of the internet. Fucking anyone can put a picture and a caption together. Are you kidding? Right? Like young people don't fall for the Nigerian prince scam. Right? Um, nobody calls it forwards from your you know, your nephew, Jimmy, it's forwards from grandma because those, because younger people grew up in an age where they were exposed to this stuff and therefore are savvy essentially. Um, and so I can get into a few more examples, but, uh, I want it, it certainly, this hypothesis of mine backs up something that, uh, or, or it helps explain something that the university of Colorado research team found, which is that one, more ideologically extreme people, so consistently liberal and consistently conservative, are more likely to share fake news and believe fake news. Makes sense, because you think that the world is very simple, right? If you're ideologically extreme, you think the world is very simple. Uh, there's good and there's evil, and you're so, and, you, and we already know from like Wedge and other stuff, you're already deep in a bubble, you're already exposed to a very limited subset of, what, um, of what's going on in the world. Uh, and everyone around you agrees with you. So nobody challenges you, right? Nobody, nobody calls you out. Um, and so you're just more likely to leave, believe BS that reinforces your world. If you are more ideologically consistent and also people who share fake news tend to be older, um, cause they're a little more susceptible to it because they haven't become, uh, savvy yet. So there's, there's more we can talk about with this hypothesis, but, uh, I've probably talked straight for the last 15 minutes. Xander, <laughs> you probably have something interesting to share. I might, but I was just going to basically tip my hat to Eric. You did most of the work for this episode, and um, so sometimes we swap, so no biggie. Um, why then are, do people still believe this? Is it just because they're used to seeing things in a certain format? Part of it is clearly that, right? You get used to how you consume information. You get used to all sorts of different habits you develop in your life, and it, became, it becomes hard to, to shake yourself out of that. That's part of it. Another part is something that you already alluded to, which is a lot of this information is presented as if it were cloaked in authority, when really it's not. It's very easy to make high quality looking videos now. Yes. Um, it's very easy to... <laughs> there, uh, there's this guy um, who's a, he's a graphic designer, he's a Photoshop expert, and he, he has people send them like photos of themselves and, and make requests. And he always fulfills the request, but makes it look ridiculous somehow. Oh, um, yeah. He's like the evil genie. Yeah, be careful yeah, what you he, wish for. It. Yeah. He's really funny. But the point is, it's really easy to, to manipulate content nowadays. And I don't mean manipulate in like an evil way. Just 
there the technology exists that makes you that that allows people to create things that look very professionally done when um you know they it's just done by someone right and that's not necessarily a bad thing it means that we've had a proliferation of, of fantastic youtube channels like our dear friends over at visual politic they do fantastic work and it's a small team of people doing it right um, but if they were less they're so good at presentation yes. right um that you know most of the time i listen to their stuff i don't go follow up on all their citations now i could but i don't and uh i think most people who listen to our show also don't go follow up on all the citations for the show notes unless they unless they're sniffing bs Mm. right if they listen to us they go like wait a minute that doesn't seem right then they'll go follow up and we get great emails about that that cause us to publish um, retractions or errata right but like I don't, you know, like on Tides of History, I don't go follow up on Patrick Wyman uh, like, and read the books he read. I just believe him because he seems credible because he's like, you know, he's, a, he's an academic. He seems very unbiased about history. He's not pushing an agenda, right? So he's cloaked for me. He's cloaked in all of this, all of these like accoutrement of credibility, primarily that he's like a history PhD and he seems to not have an agenda and therefore... I'm like, you're probably more right than I am about this, right? But in a way, um, and, you, and you, we, we don't, we hold no bones about this. Uh, everyone's in a tribe. We talk about this regularly. We're in a tribe. We're in the considerate tribe. Um, and there are aspects about the considerate tribe that don't exist in other tribes, but everyone's in some sort of tribe. And so to a degree, content and media, like what Patrick Wyman creates, we won't go double checking it all the time unless we're smelling something wrong because right. so by its nature it's self-reinforcing so if you're in another tribe with different with different foundational positions and you hear something that reinforces your worldview you're going to be less likely to go double check it unless you feel like something's wrong or there's a conflict inside of you and we talk about the reconsider principles and discussion strategies a lot one of the things we always say is be to a healthy degree skeptical of the old, of your own worldviews and beliefs because that's how you're going to improve as a thinker and as an interpreter of the world right but the problem is you get people that are very skilled at producing high quality content that don't necessarily do that work for you and reinforce whatever pre-existing worldviews you have in your own tribe and then it just proliferates because you go aha i was right exactly i'm going to share it with 8000 friends right and <laughs> And we see this, we see this effect also. The, the most extreme version of this, of course, is just like wild conspiracy theory. So Pizzagate being one of them. Um, but, but also, you know, we, one, one question I had for myself and the world was like between flat earthers and anti-vaxxers and whatever the heck else, are there more conspiracy theorists now as a percentage of population than there used to be? Or do we just hear from them more because they're on social media mm. and, you know, and you get to and you get to go on Reddit and see, you know, see the crazy stuff they post and laugh at it. Which do you think is true, Xander? Hmm. I don't know. So if I were to tell you, it'd just be a wild guess. But I have to imagine that part of it is these people have always been out there and now they have a platform for broadcasting their views in a way that just didn't exist before. Because that, that has to be part of it, right? Yes. Human nature has not changed substantially in the last 10 years the tools that allow us to communicate have. Yes. Now, I have to also imagine that those tools that allow those people to broadcast their views, even though those people have always been around, also reinforce and shift the worldviews of other people who, exactly. you know, so it's both. 
Exactly. In my it's opinion. both. It's both. And um, and so for example, like, you know, look, the the like there's this myth that that like Columbus proved the world was round. Like effing everybody knew the world was effing a globe long before 1492. Tommy, um, I think, showed it, right? Exactly. They've known yeah. it since before Jesus. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, and and you know, so like there wasn't much of a flat earth movement until the past 20 years or so. Um, and, uh, it's, it's still not much of a thing, but it's bigger now. And, uh, some good, some, uh, some good interviews by the New York times, the BBC and wired that I read, which we've got in the show notes, um, all say that one of the things that makes it so much easier to spread conspiracy theories now is it's very easy to make conspiracy theory videos that look like documentaries. So you interview quote unquote experts you use CGI and the CGI doesn't even have to look convincing. It's just the kind of thing like, remember, I don't know, just seeing like educational videos on like, you know, seeing like Nova or Cosmos or seeing stuff in school where like something was broken down using CGI and it's bad CGI, but you learned it in school and it's, it's, you know, like, like the bad CGI of like the asteroid hitting the earth and the dinosaurs falling over. Or CGI of a black hole, or, or or how a car engine works, right? Stuff like that. It looks sophisticated. It's dressed in clothes that are the same kinds of clothes that adorn these like beloved educational institutions that, like PBS, right? That have dedicated their entire organizational missions to watching the world learn. And so if you make it look like that, it starts to look pretty credible. Um, and of course, you can, you know, you're able to see cherry pick facts in there and, and um, you know, put up people who have a quote unquote expertise to, you know, to make a claim about, you know, uh, jet fuel can't melt steel beams. Right now, of course, uh, you know, and of, and of course, you know, so why and why is that so mimetic? You know, why is jet fuel can't melt steel beams so mimetic? Because. Um, like because you are able to put facts in front of people that are true, right? Like jet fuel does not burn at a heat that literally liquefies steel, right? And so you can and and think of how much kind of science mumbo jumbo you can talk about with that. Now the fact that it turns the steel from something very hard into something with the hardness of literally a wet noodle is irrelevant, right? If you're trying to push a conspiracy theory. Um, but you get to dr- you get to put all this cool sciencey stuff in there, um, and uh, and again, what's changed is these documentaries used to be created by people, or they still are, but documentaries are created by people with a mission. Now you still have like you still have people with an agenda, like Michael Moore kind of thing, love him or hate him, right? Guys clearly got an agenda, but like the PBS type stuff doesn't have an agenda other than teaching people how the world works. And, um, uh, and so, yeah. And so it makes us susceptible to when we see something that looks like in the same format that we've learned so much from before, we're more likely to believe the BS, um, and more likely to share. So, uh, those, the, the third contemporary thing that's going on, and then I'll go a little bit deeper into history about how this has changed. Um, but again, remember, these are, this is new stuff, right? So, so pictures with captions being democratized is new for grandma. Um, uh, documentary type stuff being democratized is new for most of us. 
The other thing that's new for most of us is um, I, anyone, can, anyone could put on the clothing of a certain kind of identity. So for example, um, a number of, um, like every now and then, like Twitter and Facebook go and purge a bunch of Russian bots, right? And what's really interesting is like seeing those Russian bots, some, they're not just left or right wing, by the way, they're here for chaos. So yeah. anyone who's like, oh yeah, everyone who agrees with me is not a Russian bot. And everyone who disagrees with me is a Russian bot. It's like, no, 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 they're everywhere. Their job is to sow chaos. And, but you look at some of these Russian bots and it's like, it's just, it's, it's almost such a stereotype. It's laughable, but like say a right wing one, you know, they've got, they've got a gun and a big beard and a pickup truck and MAGA 2020, right? And they love Jesus and all the stuff, right? All the stuff that would make you, if you're right wing, you go like, that person's like me. They're a little, they're a little hype, you know, they're a little like, they're like me, but on steroids, right? But they're like me, they're credible. And a lot of their posts, these Russian bots, a lot of the posts aren't just like Trump, Trump, Trump. It's like, I was in church today, right? And so of course, like you're a, you know, like you're a, you're a Christian, you're a right winger. And you have this person who's like, yeah, I was in church today. I, I, I have, I have you know, these good kids who I want to, you know, I want to see married and. And I took him to soccer practice. By the way, Trump 2020, woo, right? It's, it, you're able to dress this bot in all sorts of stuff fairly easily and fairly cheaply in all sorts of ways that make them seem like they're like you, like they're in your tribe. And if people are in your tribe, you're more likely to believe whatever they say because, of course, you know, they see the world as I do. Same thing on the left, right? It's like, you know, the, this left-wing bot, like, they're, they're black and they have funny, you know, they're not funny hair, sorry. They have, like, unconventional, like, kind of San Francisco hair. And one of them was, you know, one of them was gay. And they, uh, you know, they, they, like, went to Burning Man. And they've, uh, you know, all, all, again, all this stuff, these same kind of, uh, all these accoutrements and dress-ups of a, of a walking stereotype of someone in your tribe. and so. You, the, and so like this kind of social conditioning that we're used to, that, 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 we, that we know has been demonstrated influences us so much that like people who are like us, we tend to like kind of moderate our opinions based on what they say. And we won't think, we generally won't think stuff that's way too outside of that. This is like totally um, evolutionary stuff where if you're too different, you get excised from the group. You don't want that. So you're going to moderate your beliefs to what people who are like you and in your tribe think. And so Russia is able to get us to think all sorts of crazy stuff by saying, hey, people who are like you, they all believe this, right? Um, and so we can, and so in addition to authority as a media, as, or as a mechanism by which new media technology, you know, authority as a, as, a, as a mechanism for credibility that new media technology can use, it can also use identity and, and, and fake identity as it fakes authority um, and say, hey, people who are like you all think this, probably you should too. And we fall for it. And I, I, I have to use this as an opportunity to mention this because it's, it's, it's so prevalent to what's going on right now. When um, a country like Russia or China, which we are facing you know, moderate to serious geopolitical competition with, uh, they benefit from our division. So when you look at your fellow Americans, and increasingly more of us are looking at each other like the enemy, that's what our actual enemies want. Yep. Because 
a weak enemy is a, is is an internally divided one, and that lets China do things like threaten Taiwan in ways that it wouldn't be able to if we were united and could defend it, or you know, gobble up it, Hong Kong, gobble up Hong Kong, um, you know, gobble up Ukraine or Crimea, part of Ukraine. So the the more we see each other as the enemy, the better it is for our real adversaries around the world. And I make no bones about it that I think China's a real serious threat. And that one of the one of the blind spots on the left, and we call blind spots on both sides here, has been because Trump has been so hard on China over the last couple of years, the reflexive act is to just disagree with everything he says. So, oh, China's not that bad. We just need to go back to doing business the way we were. It's like there, there are no bones about the fact that our relationship with China needs to change and was going to change regardless. How it changed is a different question, but I think that has been uh, an error that this dynamic that you're talking about right now, Eric, about wanting to fit in um, has, has caused us to make. Um, Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Yeah, that was my point. So, what's the... Where does this fit into the historical cycle? Um, or the historical trend that I talked about because I talked about this like your kind of first fake news ever was was this uh, blood libel and you know since then of course government propaganda uh, got really sophisticated in the 20th century right and and it's lost a little bit of its potency in most places because people have access people have naturally have access to alternative ways of thinking um, outside of like North Korea and Iran, you know, you, you, you have to go to extreme lengths as a government to try to prevent alternative narratives from being out there and have a totally brainwashed population. So it's it's um, so over the 20th century, as much as the emergence of new democratized media has created opportunities for deception, it's also created opportunities or it's also made it harder for governments or people in authority to control the narrative. Um, and so the kinds of ways that governments fooled us in the past, that authoritarian governments fooled us in the past, are less available. But similarly, as I mentioned, like we see this generational shifting occur or this generational kind of maturity occur where we get exposed, we grow up exposed to something and then we're a little more skeptical about it, right? Like no Zoomer is ever going to fall for a Nigerian print scam. And that's a good thing. And so what it means is that there's a bit of a cat and mouse game um, 
but that we, we naturally grow, we naturally grow a little bit more savvy and skeptical. And that savviness, what I've seen through history a little bit, is that savviness and skepticism has led to a demand for journalistic integrity um, because people get fed up of the platform entirely. So we saw this happen in newsprint media, right? Newsprint media was not widely distributed until the 18th century. Um, and a lot of it was like, I mean, it, it took a long time, but like we all know about the age of yellow journalism. There was a time, you know, news media could just say whatever it wanted. Now, you might say, well, that's happening now, isn't it? There was this kind of golden age before cable TV, before this, you know, uh, a new generation of media technology that we start talking about in Wedged. But there's this golden age of like the newspaper, like the reliable newspaper and like the ABC, NBC, CBS, Walter Cronkite crowd, right? They were fairly credible. Now, they also censored a lot of stuff. There was stuff that they wouldn't say that was probably worth saying. That's part of the downside of, of, of editorialism. But part of the upside was they just wouldn't spew BS. Social media is like, you know, became the Wild West. And it was actually pretty easy. You know, there's like a decent case to be made that the owners of the platforms, the owners of Twitter and Facebook, didn't have an obligation to have the same kind of journalistic standards because they're not producing the content. They're just a platform for the content. It's like, oh, does a megaphone, does, does like a paper maker have to censor what gets put on its paper? Does a megaphone producer have to make sure that like, you know, clan members don't use its megaphones? Of course not. Right. But the, but like as a society, our toler we, we are all recognizing that there is this broader problem of anyone could say anything they want. And it's, if it's like mimetic or viral enough, a lot of people will believe it. And this is a societal ill um, that we're demanding some journalistic integrity out of these platforms that don't even publish their own stuff. So like fact checking, um, you know, knocking off bots, um, not allowing like certain kind of threats or hate speech, stuff like that. And so this kind of growth of journalistic standards that's going on in social media happened in news media because people demanded it, because people were sick of, you know, kind of sick of it. And, and uh, these guys essentially censored themselves, the newspapers essentially censored themselves so that either one, they wouldn't get censored by the government or two, they wouldn't, you know, just lose their use base. Because Facebook, for example, is at risk of people just not using it anymore because it's so toxic. So that stuff has happened before with newspapers. It's happening now with social media. That's the good news. The bad news, of course, is that media technology is accelerating in its evolution, right? Just it can change much faster. Um, Xander, did you ever see the MIT deepfake about President Nixon in the moon landing? No, I haven't. Tell me about it. I'm going to link it to you and I'm going to send it. I'm going to link it here Brilliant. and I'm send it to you. Um, President Nixon. So in reality, President Nixon prepared two speeches for Apollo 11. One of them was, oh, shit, they died. Yeah. Right. Um, and he gave the one about like, oh, they made it. Ooh. But we have a copy of the, oh, shit, they died version. MIT. The MIT, uh, it's called CCL, Computer Science and AI Laboratory. CCL created, just to demonstrate how powerful deepfake technology has gotten, created a deepfake of Richard Nixon reading 
the and it's compelling reading the they died version of that speech <sighs> and like if you i don't know if if you like uh, basically like you look at that and you're like this looks real right like it could fool someone um who didn't you know who didn't know history and um and that's scary. Now, the good news is this cat and mouse game continues because the good news is there are compression algorithms required to create deep fakes, right? There are, there are like, uh, you can essentially crack the code and be like, ah, this is a deep fake. Um, same thing with like, you can tell something's Photoshopped because you could just, you know, see if the kind of effects that Photoshop does are, have been applied to something in the code of the image itself. You do the same thing with video. And at least for now, there are there are at least ways to run something through and say, was this deep faked and get a decisive answer. But, you know, is deep faking still going to fool a lot of people? Heck, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because I, I know we're um, we're getting close to the end of this episode and we wanted to hop to the reconsider moment here in a, in a bit. And I kind of have my own reconsider moment mm. and it has to do with AI, which almost feels a little bit out of left field. But. Have you seen The Social Dilemma yet, the documentary on Netflix? Um, uh, no, but I've gotten the summary of it from a few people, so go ahead. Okay. Uh, the summary is, uh, I mean, to a degree, social media has created a lot of the division that we're seeing right now, um, in part because of this dynamic where the, the algorithms curate content for you. So, I mean, the analogy you gave about, like, you can't blame the paper for what's printed on it, it's a little different on these mm. content platforms because the content is curated, right? Right. Good that point. is different. Now, separately, there is there's a field of research called existential risk that looks at the risk of art- artificial intelligence, AI, in the long run. Um, and it's something I'm very interested in. I don't know well, a whole lot about it. But when people think about the risk from AI, they think about Terminator. They think about like unintended consequences. And the, the sort of the ludicrous example that they give sometimes to point out that it's not Terminator that we should really be... Uh, fearful of is the paperclip example, which is uh, if you give a piece of software that is uh, artificially intelligent, so it has greater computational capacity than the human mind and can self-develop more than human beings can develop it, and you give it a task to maximize paperclip production. Uh, One of the ways it could do that is by killing all human beings and using all the resources that human beings were using to make paperclips, right? So that is an unintended consequence uh, from essentially an algorithm. AI is k- kind of a collection of algorithms, uh, kind of, right? A lot of decisions that are being automated. Um, so the example of social media to me seems like one of the first examples of AI having massive unintended social consequences. None of the designers of Twitter or Facebook wanted it to look like this. Right. They they were hoping that it would bring people closer together. It's done the exact opposite in, a lot, in many circumstances, not, not in all. And I have to imagine we're going to be seeing more of that as time goes on. Um, so, I don't know. That was, that, that's something interesting that's been percolating in my head. Uh, how AI is already beginning. It's not something in the future now. It's something that's already affecting uh, particularly consequen- uh, to great, with great consequence our daily lives. Right. Uh, yeah, the future is... I, I think on the balance, I'm more afraid for the future of how media technology works um, and, and its influence on us. I'm more afraid than I am hopeful. 
Um, you know, I kind of mentioned like, yeah, there's this generational tendency to become savvy and essentially build mental defenses to something through exposure, but, but it's evolving. I mean, like since I've been alive, you know, we went from the internet didn't exist at all to, you know, I'm 33. We went from like, I got the first computer in my house in 1995. I was eight years old. And now, so 25, 25 years from getting my first computer in a house, we can use computation to make a compelling fake video of anyone saying anything. And so we'll reach this point where we can't even trust video anymore, right? Like at least with, you know, like right now, you know, if I'm in an argument with someone and they're like, oh, Trump never said that. It's like, here's a video of him saying that. They're like, oh, well, he didn't mean it or, or <laughs> yeah. something like that, right? They, their mind goes, ah, there's a video of Trump saying that, so he said it. So I have to find some other excuse to defend him. But at least we can agree there's this video of Trump saying, you know, I could shoot anyone on Fifth Avenue and I wouldn't lose a vote, right? And we can agree he said that because there's a video of it. Because it's right now, there are people even I know that that's the, literally the only way they're going to believe he did something that seems bad. Because um, otherwise it feels like fake news. But we can at least rely on that damn video. That's not long for this world. Then what? Um, and, uh, and, and the mistrust. Yeah, I, I think you're right that there's going to be this like rising mistrust of what we, anything we see that doesn't reinforce our beliefs and maybe even just a distrust you know there may be a rising distrust in general and the kind of a disillusionment that we're even capable of um understanding the truth of what's going on anymore i don't think we're there right now i think where we are is anything that disagrees with me i don't trust right and anything that agrees with me or is close to what i think and is dressed up in the right way i do trust and so i th i think at least for now at least for now, I think the, the, the reconsider moment I had throughout all this is it is worth, it is important for each of us listening to this to know that we're not different. Us individually, we're not special vis-a-vis -vis this ability to be fooled. You're not, and I'm not. Xander and I have, through some research, developed some tools that make it harder to be fooled but we have to be vig very vigilant about using it we in particular like to think that we form our positions through research and logic and reason and carefully weighing facts against each other right independent facts i think that's not true i think it's not even true of me there's a couple examples. Like, I believe that climate change is an existential threat. Now, I can independently validate that greenhouse gases cause a system, a, a, an ecological system to get worse. I can figure that one out on my own. But is 400 parts per million existentially threatening to us? I can't figure that out on my own, right? What has been the previous, you know, what have been the previous climactic um, consequences of higher or lower carbon dioxide and, uh, and like methane and H2O in the atmosphere? I don't know, right? And I couldn't figure it out from the raw data. What I do is I rely on credible people, right? 
I think that all these kind of like academics, um, you know, at like like the MIT uh, Earth, Atmosphere, and Planetary Sciences Department, I think that they're credible because I think that they they are smart and they want to figure out the truth and they have this like culture of you know that like scientists in the West have a culture of pursuing truth, um, and uh, you know, and if if they find results that don't agree with their hypothesis, they will be honest about it. I believe that's true, um, and so I trust. Them. Vaccines. I trust that they are safe and that they work. I trust, you know, when when I see a peer-reviewed paper um, that says they're safe and they work, I trust it. Why? Because I trust the peer review process. Um, so that, like, ooh, I hear peer review and I think, okay, this is credible. This is authoritative, right? And so I believe it. I'm. Uh, if someone was making that up, Right. If someone presented, how's this? If someone presented me with a paper that said vaccines are not safe, and someone presented me with a paper that said vaccines are safe, right? Could I be able to pick apart the one that said vaccines aren't safe myself and be able to show you, like, oh, here are all the methodological failures in that in that study? Probably not. Right. So, was there another example? Yeah, I don't need one. So we're we're all using these markers of credibility that we've chosen to trust through all sorts of experiences in our life to try to sort through the world. And it is a very humbling experience to really dig down and say, why, do, why am I so convinced that this is true? Um, who, who is it that I'm trusting that's telling me that this is true and realizing that that happens quite frequently, uh, that you're relying on someone you trust. Uh, rather than being able to independently, like really having the talent to independent or the, the skill and knowledge to independently verify. Um, so, and I think this, like this, this realization helps us, helps us see why it's so easy to be manipulated. It's so easy to have wildly divergent views of reality and different narratives about the same situation. Um, and it's happening, you know, and, and, and why we're seeing this in the United States, why we're seeing it in Europe, because it's happening there as well. And, uh, you know, and, and why we need to be having conversations about journalistic standards uh, on Facebook, Twitter and YouTube, such as like Twitter's birdwatch is a thing that they've had to invest in. Um, but we've go we're going to have this, you know, like that's the th that I think is a good model of human nature. We believe things based on what what we think is credible and how and that. Understanding that and understanding how these different media forces impact that kind of truth finding part of the brain, which doesn't rely on facts and reason, it relies on credibility, um, helps us think about, helps us have a little more like a sympathy for the devil of all the people who disagree with us. But also, I think it's important for me, it gave me some, some clarity of just understanding of being able to say like, okay, I have a story about how this happened that I think is reasonable. And it doesn't just involve like, you know, um, I don't know, just doesn't involve like a bunch of people being bad and evil, right? Uh, what I don't have is a, uh, what I don't have is a credible um, story about how the future is just going to work out on its own. So uh, that's kind of where we are. And I'll, I'll use this, this opportunity because um, right before you got into the reconsider moment, or maybe it was during the reconsider moment, Eric, mm -hmm. you mentioned that uh, we're not exempt from any of this. And, right. you know, po the point of reconsider is not for us to somehow be the two completely reasonable pundits in a room full of unreasonable. No, there are some tools we've worked on and they're, they're not our tools necessarily. We've kind of like 
repackage them in ways that we hope are easy to consume. But there's a lot of research out there on decision making and cognitive biases. And we've talked a lot about how stoicism has influenced that research and influenced our personal thinking. Mm. Um, and this is like the fourth or fifth time now in this in this two part series that I've mentioned this. But we have tried to distill some of this in the reconsider principle and discussion strategies. So on the one hand, if you're worrying that it's it's hard to pick apart, you know, what's real and what's not on the Internet. One of the things that we advocate is skepticism, skepticism, healthy skepticism. There is a skepticism of your own thoughts and worldviews and skepticism of what others say. And a healthy degree of skepticism is warranted today. And I say healthy because, and this is something that was not in the Reconsider Principles and Discussion Strategies when we wrote it for the first time four years ago, um, and maybe it should be amended, but too much skepticism in your own mind can drive you crazy and lead you to conspiracy theories. Right. So there's, there's a balance to strike. You don't want to disbelieve everything you hear right. um, because it can drive you crazy. And I think a lot of people are, if not pathologically crazy, uh, going through some, some crisis of mental health right now because they just yeah. don't know what to believe. Yeah. And on the flip side, you have people believing anything just because someone they know said it. So there's a fine balance, but we have tried to distill some of these tools in the Reconsider Principles and Discussion Strategies. You can get it on our website, reconsidermedia.com. Click subscribe for updates and you'll get it in your email over the course of a couple of days. Mm -hmm. And we would love if you, after reading these, disagree with us about Man. either some of the ideas that we've boiled down or maybe some, some of the ideas that we think have positive consequences that may in fact have negative consequences that we haven't thought about. Because- that is the sort of dialogue that we need right now to heal, to re reunite. And I, I know that these are starting to sound like trite words, but these are the conversations we got to have. So have them with us. Yeah. And uh, unrelated, you know, it was, it was, well, not unrelated, but it was what inspired me to kind of get into this, to, to, to lead the research on this one was the amount of pain and suffering that I see people feeling um not from anything that has like been different about their lives like not just because you know it, not specific you know people it, 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 it's a specific form of pain and suffering not because like oh someone i know died of the coronavirus or i lost my job but just i feel so much pain because what's happening around me right now is horrifying um and it hasn't impacted me personally yet um but i feel this deep anxiety and dread and hopelessness and despair um, and I feel like I have to watch this debate, but it, you know, I'm, re I'm revolted by it. Um, and my advice to everyone, like as we, you know, as, as all of this is coming to a head over the next month and a bit, my advice to everyone has been to like, take it easy on yourself. Um, I think a lot of people confuse obsession with the news cycle with civic engagement they're not the same thing like i didn't watch the debates why because i already know who i'm voting for the point of the debate is to help you decide who you're going to vote for i already know I'm not watching and so and like, so even me like even mr like you know obsesses over the polls i didn't watch the debate I take days at a time off of consuming any news. Everyone who listens to Reconsider is like higher than normal politically, like at least caring, right? How engaged you are. 
you know, you maybe use varies, but you care. Um, I remember a friend of mine, she has a, a kind of like, you know, that like Facebook picture that's like at the top of your profile. Mm-hmm. It has this quote that says, um, find something you love so much that you let it kill you or something like that. <laughs> and she crossed out kill you and replaced it with find something you love so much that you take care of that. It ins- sorry, not sorry. Find something you love so much that it kills you. Crosses out kills you and, and replaces it with find something you love so much that inspires you to take care of yourself so you can keep doing it. Um, and so what I, again, only loosely related to this, what I, ad- what I advise is, is be thoughtful about what news you're consuming and how much you need to consume um, in order to help you make choices because all you can do is make choices. You can only control you. What do you need to consume and learn and read in order to make choices and take action that you think is important to you? Anything beyond that is superfluous. If you're enjoying it, great. Right. I love watching the polls because like I like like Nate Silver, I, I love I love sports statistics and polls at the same time for the same reason. Right. It's interesting. But if it's giving you anxiety, don't follow him. It doesn't help you. If the debates make you like want to gouge your eyeballs out, don't watch them. Take it easy on yourself and each other. This is a, we are like, you officially have my permission to take a break. (laughs) We are going through hard times. We are going through scary times and taking care of ourselves and each other is the, is the right now, the most important thing we can do because we don't exactly know what's going to happen. And like right now, there is not a crisis that that needs you to step up in a special way. Like if you really care about the outcome of the election, like, yeah, go, you know, donate money and call bank and all that stuff. Right. You know what to do. But, um, you know, look, if things get weird. Um, you're going to want your like energy and and emotional reserves really well stacked by then uh, rather than depleted. So don't waste it on don't waste it on obsessing over the news. Don't waste it on making yourself miserable. Don't waste it on stupid fights on the Internet. Take care of yourself. I think that's as good a point as any to say, uh, don't let the pundits do the thinking for you. And that absolutely includes us. Pause and reconsider. This is Andrew signing off. This is Eric signing off. Good luck, everyone. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.